to catch a wave. Man, I got it right. My head up to my back. You know I'm fucking tired. But man, I got this right. Man, I got this right. My head up to my back. You know I'm fucking tired. But man, I got this right. Hey, welcome to Knowles 24-7's On The Bench Podcast. This is Brendan Sinone. The gang is back together today. Hey, Josh. Hey, Chris. Good to be hey, back. Brendan. Yeah, I, you guys, we're all excited. Is this the is this the uh, the least enthusiastic FSU-Clemson game that you guys have, have covered or been a part of? Uh, and I guess at any time. This may be the most for me. I started covering the team in 2013, and, uh, and this just feels kind of like a weird somber mentality among the fan base already. I mean, I think last year was a similar setting. I don't know. There was at least like, there was at least like the storylines of Willie Taggart kind of modeling his program after Clemson. And I think people weren't feeling great, but you know, there was talk about FSU's defensive line being as elite as Clemson's too. Remember that, Chris? That was good stuff too. Mm, I don't know. Yeah. There, there was there was this sense of hope. We enter into this contest with FSU as currently a 27 point underdog, uh, based on what we could find and going back through some of the information that's online. The largest point spread FSU has faced ever, ever. Uh, it was. 20-something points. I think 23-and-a-half with Florida, the last uh, regular season game in the Bowden era, and uh, that was 2009. So, yeah. Josh, is this the uh, – are, are you feeling the weird the weird vibes too this week? I've been covering this team for nine years. This is probably the most uh, unenthusiastic Clemson week I can remember, but I've kind of talked myself out of it. Like, I'm – it's almost a trap game for me. I'm, I'm looking forward to Wake Forest because I think the Wake Forest game – is much more indicative and much more telling of where this team is than the Clemson game. I mean, yeah, if FSU is is able to pull off an upset, great. It'll go down as you know one of Florida State's biggest upsets, and it'll be fun. But I think this team just needs to make, regardless of the score, if this team beats Wake Forest, the Clemson game was a success. They can't afford to come out of it in shambles, injured, um, coaches going at each, you know, the, that to me would be the worst case scenario. So I'm just focused on Wake Forest right now, Brendan. I think yeah, a lot they, of fans are having that same exact perspective, which which I think is kind of bullshit. I think you go out there and try to do what you can against Clemson. Uh, but anyway, sorry, Chris, I, I I don't like that perspective for for FSU fans to feel like uh, that they should just be looking ahead to Wake Forest. I, I, you're Florida State. Come on. I agree with Josh on the perspective. You can't let a loss on Saturday, which I think we all expect to lead to a loss on the following Saturday. It can't be the hangover effect. That all being said, it's important for FSU to play well on Saturday. They don't have to win. It would be monumental if they won. But for them, it's more about go out, play a competitive game, play an organized game, you know, put yourself in a match with Clemson, make it a game, make it a four quarter game, make Clemson play 60 minutes, give yourself a chance. If you lose, it's probably because the better team won. Don't let it be where you just hand the keys over and let them do what they want to do to you. It can't be like last year where it was 59-10 and FSU for all intents and purposes came out at halftime and quit. It, that's well, kind of the – oh, sorry. Go ahead, Josh. 
I just wanted to note that Moral Victory Chris made an appearance on the podcast again. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's again. Not more, it's not Moral Victory. It's a matter of, I just think, to carry the momentum of what they've done the last two to three weeks of the season over, they need to play well on Saturday. It's not like Saturday is just a show up, get it done, move on, play awake. For me, Saturday is about play a good game. Yeah. And if you lose, play a good game and carry that momentum in the wake. So you don't have the hangover effect and, you know, you continue the momentum of, you know, run defense has played pretty well. Offense is performing at a fairly good level. If you can go out and score 20 plus on Clemson, that's a moral victory. You know, there's things of that sort. So I think those things are important for FSU, but it's not a moral victory kind of game for me. It's more. This just team has really gotten close to turnover new leaf. I, I love it. Christ. Um, no, I just I hate I, it for me for FSU. It's a matter of building week on week on week on week. And it's about trying to get to seven or eight wins at the end of the day. It's not about going out and beating Clemson necessarily. I still don't know what Chris wants. Does he want him to be close or just focus on Wake Forest? I don't understand. I, I want him to play a good game on Saturday and have that carry over to Wake Forest week. OK, I, I don't I, want, I don't want Saturday to sabotage all of the positives they've gained in right. the last two to three games. And I don't, I don't know if this team will based on what we've seen the last two or three games, the last three games. I'm going to count Virginia in that. And I think there is a certain faction of, of the fan base that is maybe building up what we saw FSU beating two subpar ACC teams into a little bit more than it should be. Like, I don't think this team has everything figured out. Uh, but I, I do think that it's moving in the right direction. You at least see signs of that, uh, especially with the energy, the effort, the enthusiasm. Uh, remember last year, guys, against Clemson, after that game, that was Willie Taggart's quit speech. Uh, and Josh went went back and remember he he had a very similar script that he followed uh, at USF. I think it was in the first game of the Willie Taggart tenure, tenure at, at USF. Right, Josh? When McNeese he was talking about guys. Yeah. yeah, they lost to McNeese State. <laughs> uh, so he, he had essentially said a lot of the same things. And today I, today I asked Willie about the team's turnaround since that game in the sense of of not quitting. Uh, because they, they kept quitting after the Clemson game. Uh, they had the games where they just weren't competitive, Notre Dame, Florida. Th- there, were a, there were a lot of quitters on that team, and I think, or at the very least, guys who just weren't totally invested. And we saw a lot of those guys leave this offseason. And uh, would you both agree that, that that aspect of the team hasn't showed itself, at least in the past month? I know ULM was, was dicey, but uh, the energy, the effort, uh, it seems like that portion of the rebuild uh, is moving in the right direction as we kind of look at where FSU was against Clemson a year ago to where it is now going in this game. Yeah, I'd certainly agree with that. After ULM, I think they certainly had the opportunity to kind of show those kind of, you know, warts again, and they didn't do so. We thought they, they were, Virginia, right? They were competitive. Well, there we, was concerns. It was right. kind of the road forking two ways and which way were they going to go? And the answer is they actually went in a pretty positive manner and pretty positive direction. And it wasn't just us being alarmist. Like I had multiple sources reaching out to me saying that it was a cluster. You know what? At practice that week, uh, that there were guys there, on the team who didn't seem super. Like, well, go ahead, Chris. There, just, there have been a lot of people that have told us that are around FSU on a daily basis, including people that work at FSU, that that Virginia practice week was a damn mess. Like it did not go well. Practice didn't go well. Things just weren't solid, and there was concern going to Virginia of how they would handle it because they had such a poor week of practice, and I think they surpassed how they expected to play, obviously faltered in the fourth quarter in that game and lost, but since that point, they've supposedly had very good weeks of practice. We were told the week leading up to Louisville and the week leading up to NC State 
were arguably the two best weeks of practices in the Willie Taggart era at FSU. And from everything I've heard leading up to Clemson, things have carried over from those two weeks into this one. Plus, they've been able to get their legs back under them a little bit with having a bye week. And this is why I don't like the the mindset of just try to get through this okay, unscathed, emotionally, physically, and get to Wake Forest. Like I think this game, guys, is a litmus test for Florida State. I think it's something that you look you don't and I I don't mean a litmus test on where you stand in the national picture things uh and I want to get your thoughts Josh just want to explain myself real quick I mean more from where you've come from from last year Mm -hmm. this is a validation that you're not 49 points worse than Clemson that you're not going to get bitched by them again like I think that's kind of the that's what you need to show yourself is you can at least be competitive for a good portion of that game that you're not going to get outclassed completely if you keep it within a couple scores and maybe that's what Chris's point to uh, moral victories. I don't know if I want to call it that or not, but like, I think this is a big game to show where you've come from from last year. I'm curious to get your thoughts, Josh, but that's more what I mean. Yeah, uh, I see I, what you're saying. You're saying I want to go up against the whoever's considered the best team in the ACC. As long as FSU still trying to figure it out and get moving in the right direction, I think it is good to go up against the best team every year in the ACC and see where you stack up against them because eventually these contests are going to get are going to get closer and closer, and they're going to come back to this thing being a rivalry and eventually FSU winning them. But you're right. Like we're going to know, okay, Hey, we're still really far off after this 51, 14 loss, or Hey, we're not that bad after a 32, 38 loss or something, you know, something like that. So, um, yeah, I understand what you mean. It's a, it's could be a harsh dose of reality or it could be, it could show us something moving in the right direction. I, it's funny. I think Clemson's going to beat FSU by ballpark about 21 points. I expect maybe like a 45-24 kind of game, 40-20, to 20, something like that. But yet I still think FSU can have positives coming out of such a score, which I know sounds nuts because it's three touchdowns. But I think Clemson's really good. I think Clemson's about to play the best game they've played this season, especially because they probably played their worst game of the season last time out. And under Dabba, they rarely have two bad outings in a row. And I still think FSU can show a lot of positives, you know, despite losing in that effort. And I know that sounds like moral victory and I'm not that kind of guy usually. Lately. Only on the podcast. That, that's important. Yeah. Only in podcasts. Yes. Podcast me. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if Florida state's weighing itself as much against Clemson, Clemson this week as it is weighed against what it was last year when it went against Clemson, if that makes sense. But, but anyways, uh, 27 point spread, Chris, it sounds like you think, FSU is going to cover Josh. Are you in the same boat? Like I personally think that's free money. I would take that. I think Florida state will be more competitive because it's shown to be a more competitive bunch for majority of the season. I would, I'd bet your money on it. I wouldn't bet my <laughs> money on it. I'd bet your money on it and feel good. But if it was my money, I don't know if I'd feel so good. You'd you know bet my money on anything and feel good because it's <laughs> not your money. Uh, I tried. There's another person on the beat, and I won't share his name right now. But we were trying to put a bottle of bourbon on it because he's like, FSU is going to get destroyed and there's no chance. And I was like, all right, well, then let's 27 point spread. He was like, no, I'm like a bottle of bourbon. No. I was like, well, what about you know, 24 points? Like, I feel like I'm closer to me. Like, I think 20 points is is a more realistic uh, view. And he was like, no, not 24 points. So whatever. I, I think Florida State is going to equip itself well. I, I I have heard that there's a lot of confidence coming from the team this week. Uh, kind of gathered. Chris, did you gather that <laughs> from talking from talking to the guys this week? That like they're not they're not going into it timid. At least I don't know if it's false bravado or what, but like they're not they're not scared. 
Yeah, they weren't shaking in their boots. They're certainly they view Clemson as a mighty opponent. And, you know, like Stanford Samuels talking about their receivers is like, you know, they're good. Like he doesn't have to talk about T Higgins or Justin Ross or Amari Rogers individually as some great player. They know that group is great. They know Trevor Lawrence is talented, Travis Etienne, plenty of talent on the offensive line. And that defense has plenty going for it, including Brett Venables. So there's a healthy respect. But there's not a whole lot of fear being expressed. There's definitely a team that feels a lot better about themselves than they did three, four weeks ago. And I think they feel like they can stand in the ring and go toe-to-toe with Tyson and that they got a shot of being Buster Douglas. Tyson Fumichu, you think he's going to play? Is that what you're saying? No. Okay. All right. So a couple of of notes as we kind of uh, evaluate this game and – uh, we'll we'll go through those and then we'll take a break and answer. You guys had a lot of good questions this week, and I want to get through as many as those of those as possible. Uh, but let's go with some of the the nuts and bolts right now from this week. Willie Taggart today said that Cole Minshew and Jawan Williams, two projected starters on the offensive line at the onset of the year. Uh, well, I guess Jawan is technically a starter; he was just injured. Uh, both of those guys are practicing. Uh, Cole Minshew did return this week. That was really nice to see. And he said that both will be available for Clemson. I am skeptical that we'll see both of them or even either of them, uh, especially Cole Minshew hasn't really practiced all season. Uh, so putting him in uh, without being in football shape seems concerning to me. Like I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't expect him to, but Jawan Williams coming back in, I think helps you out and gets Abdul Bello out of there at left tackle. If Jawan can go, Chris, you paid close attention to the offensive line this week. What are your thoughts on, well, when I say close attention, I mean from the 10 minutes of practice availability that you saw, but what are your thoughts on, on how Jawan was moving? And, uh, and are you feeling like we could see one, both none this week? I would be surprised if we see Cole a whole lot. Maybe he steals a rep here or there if they need it or if something happens injury-wise, he has to step in. But I think, like you said, football shape's just not there yet. He hasn't had a whole lot of reps in the practice setting. With Juwan, he's trying to move around. Truthfully, he's wearing a brace on his foot on the outside of a shoe that I don't know if I've ever seen on a lineman before. Usually the braces are heavy around the ankle but not like over the shoe as his is. It's kind of weird. You know, watching him on Tuesday, he certainly was trying to put forth the effort. He was trying to go fast, I noticed. Um, That kind of stood out to me. But he didn't look himself completely. But I think he's going to try to make a go of it. I think they want to see him out there, and we'll see how he handles it. But, you know, he's going to be going against guys like Xavier Thomas and maybe Isaiah Simmons coming downstairs on him. That's asking a lot for a guy. So I don't know how much he'll be able to handle it if maybe they try to do a little – back and forth series to series with him and Abdul Bello just to give Juwan a chance to catch his breath and, you know, make sure he's all good on that ankle. But I do think we see Juwan. I'm not really expecting to see Cole. Uh, Clemson goes into, enters this game, averaging 3.8 sacks per game. Florida state is allowing 3.8. So that means we'll see exactly 3.8 sacks somehow. Right. Is that math? Four, That's how that works, Chris. Six. Oh, Oh, Four, you think it'll just, okay. Uh, keeping the quarterbacks clean is going to be kind of a big deal this week. And uh, there's going to be two quarterbacks. It sounds like we're not entirely sure yet what that's going to look like with James Blackman and Alex Hornerbrook, other than Willie Taggart's made it fairly clear that he intends to play both. Now, Willie has been uh, the king of the smoke screen the last few weeks too. So I'm not sure what kind of gamesmanship there is, but I believe both are practicing. Both are in the game plan right now. He's saying that James Blackman is a starter. Uh, and then we got uh, we got Kendall Bryles to talk a little bit about it earlier this week as well. And and Josh, I want to get your thoughts. Uh, Kendall seemed kind of lukewarm on the idea of two quarterbacks. Do you think that's fair to say? Yeah, that's actually how he sounded. Um, 
He didn't sound. This clear wasn't his idea, and I can understand it. I think um, you got Bryles in here trying to win ball games at a at a clip to advance his career, and you got Willie Taggart in here trying to maintain a program. And right now, I think Kendall Bryles will probably lean a little bit more towards Hornybrook, but Hornybrook's only here till the end of the year. Then you got the future of the program potentially James Blackman. You can't afford to have him go. So if you bench him this week against Clemson. Uh, that's not, you know, that's not helpful for the future. Um, Willie Tiger probably told him we got to play both these guys this week. And, um, Kendall Bryle said, just what he said is I'm going to lean on Willie on how to manage it, which I think is fair. I don't think it's his call. I mean, is, am I looking too far into those words? No, well, <laughs> I heard it initially when he said it, when I was there, and I thought it was interesting that he made a point to say, I'm going to lean on Willie Taggart to that, but that's not abnormal for a coordinator to defer to the head coach with some decision-making and personnel and say, yeah, this is you know his plan. Uh, to me, Josh, the more interesting quote was one that came later on when he was asked the advantage of a two-quarterback system because KB said he's never really been a part of a two-quarterback system, and obviously his time at Baylor under his dad, like prolific offenses, then with the, man, the offenses KB himself has managed uh, at at Baylor, at FAU, and at Houston have all been really good. So for him to not be a huge fan uh, of that system, or at least not really a proponent to where he's done it before, I think is telling. Uh, and this was the and, quote. that I'll read that real quick. I want to get your yeah, thoughts on that, Josh. All right. He said, well, you got to make sure both guys are healthy first and foremost. We have that. What kind of advantage does it have? I don't know. <laughs> and then uh, both guys are capable of doing it. They're both going to be able to go out there and execute the offense. Uh, not asking, not knowing what kind of advantage it presents to me, I thought was telling. Uh, it was kind of like, yeah, well, throw your hands up. We'll see. We'll see. It made it, that made it very clear to me that it didn't seem like he was totally on board with that concept. Yeah. And I don't think here's, here's where it's going to matter right now. It doesn't matter at all. FSU goes out and they score 30, 41 points, something in that range. Even if they lose, offense did its job, it, and it's done kind of what it's done all season, which is score a lot of points. If FSU goes out and they score 13 points, or they score 10 points, or something like that, and it looks it looks discombobulated, and it could be a cause of the 2QB system, then I think there's definitely going to be questions on whether or not that was a good idea, who made the call, and if they're going to do it again. So I think it all depends on the outcome of the game. But the groundwork is there for Kendall Bryles to kind of question the usage of two quarterbacks in this game. I, I did talk to a couple people this week uh, within the program or around the program, and I don't think anyone's super excited about doing this. Now, we'll see how it works, uh, but the examples of two quarterback systems working uh, are far and few between. Uh, I don't feel great about it personally, but we'll see. We'll see. There's there, there, Chris, go ahead. Cause I know that, that we've talked about this before. I'm curious to get your thoughts, man. There, there is a path for it to work. It's just, it's a, it's a balancing act at this point. It's a fine line that you're going to tow here. I'm interested to see how much it's scripted up for each guy. Like, you know, if they give take James the first two series and Alex, the next two series, and if largely those two series are able to run off script, how successful that can be because they are obviously two different types of quarterbacks with what their strengths are and what they do well. And while Clemson can certainly prepare for both and has the animals to run out there to get after you on defense, you know, I, I think that you can throw a little bit of a curveball at them. With and the other thing is when one emerges as a hot hand, if that happens in this game, do you just ride that guy to the end? Do you still go back to the other guy? I'm interested to see how that's maneuvered, how that's handled. 
And truthfully, I'm interested to see how much we actually see a two quarterback system. I'm not entirely a believer that we're going to see it as much as maybe we're expecting to see it. I think it might be what we saw in the Louisville game or even less than that before the injury to James Blackman and less of what we're thinking where it's truly like one guy, one series, the other guy, next series possibility that's being thrown out there too. All right, cool. Let's uh, let's take a break. Uh, that's it for our like in-depth Clemson preview. I don't want to get too into the weeds with that because I think there's still uh, I think we're all still kind of in the twenty-point range. I don't think there's like a ton that we're thinking that's going to happen for Florida State to uh, to necessarily pull off the upset, but but I do think we're thinking they're going to be competitive. So, anyways, enough with the Clemson preview stuff. We're going to take a break. Uh, then we're going to get into some recruiting talk and uh, answer some questions from from you guys. All right, we're back. Uh, you guys have questions. We have answers. I don't know if they're going to be good answers or not. Uh, they probably will be if my my co-hosts are answering them. But uh, but yeah, let's let's get to it. You guys ready? Yep. Yep. All right, it's going to be a good segment. Me reading. That's always good. Uh, good radio. All right. First one is from Renegade Knowles eighty two. Is Small shut down, or do we still expect him to host? Uh, do we still expect to host him for an official visit? Chris, uh, you go first. I talked to Brandon Huffman. He's the point man for our company on Savelle Smalls. He told me that Smalls told him the only official he will take is Washington. Yeah, I just don't see FSU having the juice on the trail to pull a five-star kid from Seattle, Washington. Not this year. Yeah, all right. That's uh, discouraging. Okay, next up, Pensacola Knowles, 89, says, this is going to be kind of related to what we talked to. He asked, what is the vibe regarding uh, why we are going with a two quarterback system and could ultimately be a ruse a la the NC state game and, or how NC state transitioned to Hawkman. Uh, and before someone inevitably asks, how does Bryles feel about it? Uh, we did kind of talk about this already, so I don't want to get too much into the weeds here with, uh, with quarterback talk. Uh, I have seen uh, some people speculate that FSU leaves this game with a surefire starting quarterback. Like this is almost like a test to see uh, how, how both perform. I'm not entirely sure that's the case. Uh, do you guys have any thoughts on, on, on how this all plays out? No, I shared my thoughts. All right. All right. I, I think that FSU is going to just try to win. Like, I think it's a matter of, they want to find one that the offense works the best with. Do I think it's a ruse? I think there's that possibility. I don't think that's far fetched either. I think there's a little gamesmanship being shown by Willie Taggart in recent weeks. Willie won't even say who his starting kicker is going to be, man. Like he's, it's all close to the vest right now. I don't know what kind of tactical advantage uh, Parker Growthhouse versus uh, Ricky Aguayo can offer, but well, one might make kicks, and we know the other <laughs> one will probably miss them. So there's that. All right, <laughs> Bloom twenty four asks: Is Javante Kinsey a guy the staff is in contact with? The guy is six four with really good body control. Uh, and also what does a win versus Clemson do for us with recruiting momentum and as a program on Kinsey, they're familiar with him, obviously with recruiting Bermudas and Sims, he's teammates with those two. He's very good friends with Jeff. I don't think he's what I would consider a target at this point. All right. I thought, I thought Josh might want to jump in for a second. I I think that you have the best pulse on those guys. And also something to remember um, when you're talking about a kid like Kinsey, that's been, he plays for a program where FSU has two commitments at, they've seen him plenty. They've seen a lot of him, whether it be on film or in person, and yet they still have passed on him. So, um, to this point, you know, I think he's probably, uh, uh, on the back burner, a backup yeah, option. 
I think there's the receivers they're trying to get, and then there's a healthy group between those guys and Kinsey. Right. Who was the second question about, Brennan? It was, it was whether Clemson, beating Clemson, what that does for FSU on the recruiting trail. I'm going to say that, that that's a BFD. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, that's the uh, we don't need no edits. We just want to let you know we beat the best team in the country kind of deal. So, yeah, you know, per- I, yeah it would be huge. You're waking some people up with that win, for sure. Yeah. Willie doesn't have – I mean, that's the big thing is Willie doesn't really have a signature win. What is it to date? NC State this Boston year? College. Boston College last year? I mean, this is his signature win that you can start beating And you're not going to see a flood of commitments come off of this, but it's something that you could use like, hey, you could get in a kid's DM and schedule an official visit maybe, yeah. get somebody locked in that you hadn't had prior. That uh, Miami official visit week would look really good, right? That Miami yeah, week, could, I think, it, no. It increases buy-in for targets. I mean, that's the thing. The guys who are like, I want to see which way they're going, that says, man, they're going the right direction. For at least a week, you got all that good clout on your side. So that's it. And just don't screw the pooch against Wake Forest. All right, the null OG. He's got a couple questions here. When does Willie start pressing for JUCO recruits in the O-line and D-line end of the regular season? Uh, Before I go to the next one, Josh, I'll let you answer that. I don't know when uh, they've offered a couple kids back in the spring, back in March. Um, we thought that they should probably press to get some JUCOs in in June. The the only one that they attempted to get in in June was Peroni Winfrey, who at the beginning of the month ended up committing to Oklahoma and never got on that official visit in June to FSU. So to this point, if I'm being honest, I think they're already a little bit late. I don't think it's. I don't think we're in the danger zone that they entered last year. But if we learned anything by last year, was maybe not enter it so late because there was very few options of guys that could come in and actually help immediately. You got to get guys in in December. Uh, you got to get December graduates that can come in and, and compete in the spring, have time to earn a starting spot and contribute. Um, right now, I mean, you guys know, Brendan. How long have you been bugging me to write this JUCO story? Like two weeks. You did it though. I did I'm it. Pr- I'm what I'm saying is, and it was good. Why was I hesitant to do it? Because you didn't think FSU was going after any Ju- JUCO guys. So finally, you know, after digging, I, there's nobody that I can really point at and say FSU is very active with this JUCO recruit. Um, are they aware of some of them? Yes. Have they been in contact with some of them? Yes. But I don't think there's anybody that's very aware. That's why the way that I framed the story was here's 10 JUCO names that could make an early impact at FSU. You're just pulling names out of thin air, Josh. I was surprised we didn't see any movement with that last week with the bye week. I thought we might see a name or two, and it didn't really come about. I am a little surprised by that. They did more look like uh, you know 2021 type of evals of anything. Yeah, was, and they also went and saw a lot of 2020 kids that are committed and committed, worked yeah. on firming that stuff up. And then really? some of the guys that have been long, long-time targets too. Which is important. All right, yes. so – so the, the Noology also asked, uh, what are our chances of getting T-Buck uh, for the DB coach next season? <laughs> well, first you need to have the defensive back coach opening. Uh, and let's just say that Jim Levitt is brought on to the staff full time as a co-defensive coordinator, just a full straight up the only defensive coordinator. And I don't know what you do with Harlan Barnett then. Right now you still have him under contract for another year. If you want to fire him, that means you're probably paying him a good chunk of money. Uh, and he can at least coach defensive backs. So, like, do you get rid of? Do you just kind of let him focus on that? I I don't know. I, I think there's a lot that has to go into that. So I would say right now, not great chances. Uh, and I don't know how much how what Willie thinks of uh, of Terrell Buckley either. Like that wasn't someone that when the coaching search first started, he was looking at assembling his staff. Someone that he thought 
uh, was a necessity. And I know there were some outlets this past year reporting that FSU was looking at T-Buck and they had talked. Uh, I, I was able to confirm with a direct source that, that would have you know good knowledge of, of that situation that uh, FSU and T-Buck did not have a direct conversation. So right now, I, uh, let's move on. I don't think there's anything super substantial to, to think of right now. I know we all really like the idea of that, though. Uh, Bloom24 asks, what are the chances we take three-plus graduate transfers to help fill needs? Uh, one of the recruiting guys, what do you got? Sure, if I, you can find three. If right. you get three I mean, that want to go there, issue. right? Yes. you, you got to find three that want to be there. you got to find three that can probably play immediately next year, grad transfer types, not just transfer types. And you got to find three that fit your needs, which would probably be, you know, defensive tackle, defensive end, offensive tackle, some combination of those three positions. They wanted to take more than three last year, or yeah. at least three. like they wanted to load up the line with grad transfer guys. I just, they were only able to get one really. So yeah, they, they'd love to have a Parker Braun out there right now. who's kicking ass for Texas or yeah. guys of that sort. There's plenty of guys that they were interested in. RJ Proctor of, was another. Yeah. Uh, do we know how interest is a key? I meant to look that up before the podcast here. I don't know how those guys are doing. I know Braun's doing well. well. Like the kid that went to Miami, uh, Tommy, was it Butler? The kid, Butler? the kid Tommy from Butler. Tommy Martin from Butler. Yeah, apparently from is Butler. doing nothing for the Canes, or he's at least struggling mightily. But then there's a guy like Parker Braun who's playing really well for Texas. So I think for every good one, there's a bad one type of thing. It's sort of like – Same as junior college. college. Yeah, yep. exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, so hey, if I, if, I could, if I could give you a 50-50 proposition on the offensive line, we would all take that, right? Well, and that's what worries me about the JUCO stuff is and, – and I've been saying this for years because I used to cover a lot of junior college recruiting when Jim Levitt was at USF. So, like, I got four or five years of kind of seeing what JUCO is all about. So, for every Levante, David, and J, uh, JPP that Levitt recruited, there was a lot of misses. So, I'm always of the opinion – you got to take double the amount of junior college guys to fill the needs that you want. Meaning like if you got two offensive tackles, if you got an offensive tackle spot that you need filled, take two offensive tackles from junior college. Odds are one or two of them just aren't going to pan out. I mean, it's hard to justify or it's hard to, it's hard to predict how a guy is going to translate to the next level when he's playing at a level like junior college. And we saw it with Jay Williams this year. Yeah, and it's a broad brush statement, but a lot of times a guy ended up in JUCO for a reason. Mm-hmm. So there's sometimes getting over those issues and those goes that take a while. So if you have a guy only for two years and it takes a year to get over that, you only really, you're renting them for 12 games, basically. Right. So they're a short-term then, fix. There's also some phenomenal stories that come out of junior college and some guys yeah. that are going to be first-round draft picks that you know redeem themselves. So it's it's a crapshoot, but that's why I think you got to take them in bigger numbers. Yeah. All right. Two more from Bloom24. And I want to speed this along a little bit because we still have about a, yeah. 10 more questions to go. So uh, Duwan, <laughs> I don't know why I thought that was a lightning bolt sound. Juwan Edwards, still uh, still a priority for FSU, the running back from Colquitt. Uh, Colquitt. Yes. 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 Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. At one point, the feeling was we could get Marcus Fleming Fleming to flip. Uh, did the staff stop pressing for his commitment or is he actually that committed to them? I've never got that feeling that Marcus Fleming was going to flip. I mean, Marcus Fleming, I think, might have visited for a junior day and might have visited spring game or something. He was definitely at the spring game, but I never got a sense that Fleming was a – I mean, he's a guy that they offered early and, and wanted, but um, – All right, moving on. He's yeah. no, moving on. Chris agrees. No, no, no. All right. 
Italian Roast. That's such a great name. All right. Italian Roast asks, who are the current offensive tackle targets with Walker off the board? Does the staff feel good about you know, the current freshman, redshirt freshman we have? Who are the offensive tackle spots in 2020? I've been talking so much. I'll let Chris break this one down. I mean, target-wise, it's tough <laughs> to really say anybody right now. I mean, there's they were really all in on Isaiah Walker. They told other guys when their families called about taking a visit that they weren't going to offer him because they were focused on a South Florida offensive lineman. That was, that was back in Walker. July. So they have to reshuffle that board and figure that out. As far as what's on the roster currently, I think they're pretty pleased with what they're getting out of the three freshmen as far as future development. Chaz Neal is working, but you know that's going to be a trial by fire when he actually goes into game duty regularly. Jalen Goss is still really thin. So I don't think there's a great solution currently on the roster, and I can't really point to one in the recruiting right now. That's something that we need to see develop over the next several weeks and months leading up to the early signing period and then February. And then after that, the grad transfer market. Yeah, and just real quick, just to add – some facts. I, I reached out. There was two guys kind of on the board that were fringe guys after Isaiah Walker. That was Patrick Bennett, who's yep. in Key West, and he's committed to UCF. And then there's Brady Ward, who Chris just referenced, was kind of told there wasn't a spot for back in July. Um, I reached out to both of them. Patrick Bennett confirmed that he's been in contact with Florida State coaches this fall. Um, I asked him if a visit's been set. He said, no, they haven't gotten that far or talked about it yet. Kids open to it for sure. So I think he's a guy that they could potentially go back in on Brady Ward out of Alabama. Um, he's got some teams on him, Virginia, Wake Forest, Purdue. Um, he, he texted me and I asked him, has FSU been in contact this fall? And he said, no. And he sent me a, like a three game highlight and said, but if they like this, I would consider visiting maybe. So it I'd sounds like, like he's yeah, still a little, he's still a little chapped about what happened in July, but I do believe he's a guy they could get back in on. I'd like to see FSU take another look at Caden Baker. He's a Fort Myers kid. He's got some FSU ties. I think he's worthwhile. And then ultimately, I think FSU is going to have to go to grad transfer market to fix offensive line for next year. I just don't think they're physically mature enough with the current roster, nor is there anybody they can bring in as a recruit that will fill the need of like replacing Ryan Roberts off the bat and potentially needing somebody at both spots. Um, so I think it's important for them to go find a body or two that's physically mature and prepared to at least handle the snaps at that position immediately. This was a hell of a lightning round, guys. Really, really people picked want up to, the pace. Yeah, but people do want to talk about the, the offensive line. The, the, that was like the fifth question that somehow had something related the, to the, the offensive, offensive line. line I'm fine a topic it. that won't die. It has been – we're on, what, like year since basically 13? <laughs> you know how you resolve we're that? We're on like year six of it. You know how you resolve you over recruit the hell out of it and hope you find and develop a, 12 to 15. Yeah. I do like, uh, the, what I'm hearing about like this, this group of, uh, freshmen right now, like are currently on campus with Dante Lucas and, and some of the other guys, um, maybe more than how I feel about the group that came in before. But unfortunately, like, I don't know, like it seems more interior line heavy. You're still looking for that true long, lengthy, uh, athletic, offensive tackle left tackle type that like still hasn't necessarily like emerged right now. So anyways, uh, chill cat two, two, nine. He asked does Travis J have any possibility of being eligible this year. Uh, right now I wouldn't hold my breath. Like I think we're, we're at midway point in the season. Travis J is wearing a scout team Jersey this week. He's he not going to be eligible to play this week. It looks like I think, uh, that ship more than likely has sailed. Uh, agree, Chris, you're shaking your head. Yeah, Taggart, when we've asked him, said there's no new update with it. I've also not been told anything based on Madison County about it. So 
I don't know of any update on his status changing. All right. Uh, Donella Noll asks, currently with 21 committed and looking at the possibility of at least 25, do you feel there is enough legit tar- there are enough legit targets with mutual interest to fill out the rest of the class? And do you feel the needs can be met with FSU quality kids? Seems like the first two cycles we ended up pocketing scholarships rather than reach too far, even though we did that somewhat. Uh, uh, he has two other questions, but so basically, how do you guys feel about rounding out this class? Well, the first year they didn't. They were they were limited on numbers. I mean, they could have probably taken a couple more, meaning like one or two more, but there wasn't th- those options available. Last year, we know FSU was kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel at the end there to to get a running back, to get another linebacker, to you know they were they were trying, they they were doing what they could. Um, I think this year is going to be the same except numbers shouldn't be an issue at all. Um, I fully see them being able to take up to you know, 27, maybe push 28, but it's going to really come down to the same thing as last year. Are there 27 or 28 bodies to get in here that can make an impact? Um, otherwise, yeah, pocket the scholarship, don't use it. I don't know. Yeah, Eventually I, you have to go real quick. You have to like, I, I understand pocketing the scholarship, but at a certain point, like you're putting your team at a disadvantage. Like but they're now down with the just, transfer portal, I mean, you, you I, just because you pocketed signing day doesn't mean that it's going to go unused until the following signing day. Well, yeah, but that's, you're that's kind of what happened have, this past year. <laughs> you're also going to have guys enter the portal. So for me, the portal is sort of a trade-off. You're going to have as many probably enter as you try to recruit from it. So that number shouldn't affect how you recruit high school and JUCO. Um, they're at like 75 will, scholarship guys right now like currently so available 10 for under 10 under and you're midway through the season. Like that's not ideal. I think they'll make up for basically recruiting no offensive skill last year in their recruiting class. I think you'll see another quarterback, potentially a guy like Malik Hornsby and not running back guy like Edwards out of Colquitt. Um, and I receiver like Brian Romson potentially, as well as another one on top of that. And then, you know, we expect at least one more O lineman, probably another D end or two edge rusher types and then an interior defensive lineman. So that's a handful of guys that we expect in the recruiting class before you start looking at the grad transfer and transfer portal market. Uh, Danielle Knowles' next question was about absolute must-haves in this class position-wise. Chris, you kind of just touched on that. We'll move along to – Edge rushers and offensive tackles. They got those and, two spots where they have glaring weaknesses. Interior defensive tackles, and you need to load up on running back and wide receiver depth as well, probably another quarterback. Like there's, there's a handful of things you have to – you have to accomplish here and it may not be just with uh 2020 prospects too like you guys have alluded to several times uh any in this class currently you don't expect to be there in the end not to set off a firestorm but no not for me i mean i think this class has been a very loyal bunch back and forth from fsu side and from the recruit side so there's always a possibility of a kid parting ways but there's nobody i'd forecast to do that at this point yeah, I mean, it, at this point, you watch the top of the commit list, the most talented players, um, make sure they're solid. Right now, I have no reason to believe they're not. Based on everything that they've said publicly that we've heard behind the scenes, I think FSU is doing a good job right now. So, you know, statistically speaking, we're going to see some guys exit this group. We always have, even when Florida State won the national championship. So um, there'll be there'll be some attrition to the class. But right now, I think Florida State's doing a great job holding on to them all. Uh, FSU Gat 77 asks, when are we going to go after Juco offensive lineman? We've already kind of touched on that man. Uh, uh, well, right. We're good with the we'll report on Juco it when coming. it happens. Yeah. Um, for sure. Rene- Renegade Knoll 82 asks, is there any effort to make Malcolm Lamar an offensive lineman or is that a message board fantasy? 
Right now, no, correct? He walked out to practice dressed as a defensive lineman and a scout team member earlier this week. So I don't know. That conversation should have been had back in the spring. It was. So I confirmed it. I, I, when I saw these questions, um, getting going in the thread, I reached out to a contact that knows Malcolm very well and was told they discussed it this summer. Um, it was discussed, uh, moved on to another position. They're not going to play him. Uh, yeah, I think Malcolm was a little discouraged that he was going to probably be on the depth chart behind Chaz. So if he was already <laughs> behind Chaz, it was, well, I mean, honestly, like I think it came down to, he thought he could see the field, quicker at defensive end than offensive tackle. And he's probably right, but it doesn't help the program at all. Um, so I asked, do you think it would be happen next year? Yes. Depends on who they recruit. I would move. And this is just an opinion. I would move him. Otherwise I would expect him to leave. He could be an NFL guard. Um, we'll see what happens. I don't expect him to leave. I don't know. I don't, I also don't expect him to move. Chris, we talked to him a bunch during his recruitment. Did he ever seem like he had any interest in playing offensive line? No, no. And Malcolm's personality is one of those that he's very steadfast in what he thinks. So if they do convince him, it's going to be a good job flipping him. But Hey, at this point we're entering year three. Well, it will be entering year three of him being on campus and he hasn't taken a single rep at offensive tackle. If you're hoping Malcolm Lamar is your, you know, your future starting left tackle, I think you're going to be sorely disappointed at this point. And I get that he looks the point, the look looks the part, but uh, yeah, eventually like he just he, doesn't have, you know, Hey, it's his career. If he yeah. doesn't want to make the move, he doesn't want to make the move. No fan 1210 ask what in the ever living. Oh, I can't say that word uh, is going on with Anthony Grant. And don't you answer with personal reasons either. I don't know. Chris, what do you got? Personal reasons. Personal reasons. Personal yeah, but do I, I, from what I've been told, if we want to be real with our members, He's not happy. I don't think he's happy with it. I don't think he's going to be part of the team when the season's over. No. Yeah, it, it's a weird deal. We kind of dug on it. There's nothing definitive to really put to it. Um, you know, the, the comment used constantly by the staff is that it's personal reasons. But, man, he just it, – it's weird in a group that has no depth like running back where, you know, you basically got – Cam, who's the workhorse, LeBourne, and then you're the next guy up. Like, he's not in that right now. Like, he doesn't factor into that. Really, the next guy up, the third guy is probably Deontay Sheffield. Right? And we were told behind the scenes last season, and I know, Chris, you, you were told this as well, but we were told that there was people inside the Moore Center that felt Anthony Grant was the most talented back on the roster. Yeah, they yeah. liked him. And that was with Cam Akers. Yeah, they, they, they said it was politics with Cam and LeBourne, but with their recruiting rankings and stuff that kind of kept – Grant off the field last year. It's weird. It's been a weird sophomore year. Sometimes that happens and the train corrects itself and gets back on the tracks. And we forget all about it when they're running for 800 yards as a senior. And other times they end up at K-State. What are your thoughts about taking Anthony Grant and putting him at middle linebacker? Hmm. Why are hmm? we always trying to move people? How about we just recruit people to actually fit the position we recruit them for? Sorry. Is that really a thing? Is that, people mention well, that? He could play both ways. I believe. Uh, I know, but he I was, mean, he was, he was a really good linebacker in high school and watched him on special well, teams coverage that last talk year. On the message board. I mean, I've oh, seen this, this is a Brendan, stuff. this is a Brendan Sinone joint. Oh, uh, okay. All right. I'm saying I have an eye for these sort of things. I think this is MLS. Is this MILF? <laughs> I think it's MILF 1886. Asks, what edge rushers can fill in for Robinson? That's an old MILF. 
1886. That's probably going to be Josh Brown and Adonis Thomas, first guys up. They've shared about the same amount of reps. We've seen Brendan Gant working there some, but more on the Amari Gaynor side, I think. We might see him maybe get a rep or two. And then Derek McClendon's the guy who got, I believe, three reps in the last game. I asked uh, Harlan Barnett about him on Wednesday. Harlan said he was doing well, handling a little bit more duties. We'll see if he sees increased reps. But right now, I would expect to be Josh Brown and Adonis Thomas out the gate. Such bullshit that J-Rob's not playing the first half. Yep. Good job. Good job, ACC. Good job. That's a toughie, too. Uh, not having uh, Joshua Kando, obviously, because of the season-ending injury. And then J-Rob, the lights are starting to come on in the last two games. And, and he's just showing more instincts and better jump off the ball and, and more power. Like everything that you thought he was going to be is starting to at least kind of show itself. And uh, here he is, the biggest, you know, the, the biggest stage he's going to have this season. And uh, and yeah, he's he's not playing in the first half because of a, a BS targeting call. Nice, nicely done. All right. Last question here from Willie D. <laughs> Would you rather eat your dead friend or <laughs> kill your dog and eat it when you are marooned on a lonely island. This for me is a no brainer. You yeah. Your you're de- definitely you, your friend. You, your friend. Why would you one kill the dog? The dog could be helpful. Before I eat my dog. Right. And the dog could actually be really useful on an island. Could sniff stuff out, could defend you. Like there's a lot of options. Uh, I, yeah. I would eat my dead friend. Most of my friends are overweight too. So. Hey, Hey, I have feelings over here. <laughs> what would you do, Chris? You're not a big dog person. I've never had a dog in my life, so I think we're kind of eliminated there. It's a pretty easy answer for me. I don't have the pet attachment that other people may have in this conversation. All right. Yeah, uh, you're missing out. All right. I think that's all for the questions. That was fun. Uh, It was like old school when we used to take questions all the time. Let's, uh, Let's... Get some final score prediction, guys. You guys want to do that now, or do you want to just tell people to check out the article you're going to publish tomorrow, Josh? I haven't really thought about it. I can give you my unofficial, but yeah, go All ahead. Right, yeah, uh, no, do an unofficial one, and then you can just flip-flop later. That's fine. Yeah, I, this is just coming off the top of my head. This is an emotional uh, prediction. You know, Once I get into the lab and I start crunching the numbers, run it through my algorithm, I'll give you my <laughs> official prediction tomorrow on our Knowles 247 picks, but Right now, unofficially, you know, I, I do have Clemson winning this ball game, forty-two to twenty-eight. Ooh, close! I, I was sitting here in my head, and I'm I'm wiggling between like forty-two twenty and forty-two twenty-four. So I'm going to go with forty-two twenty-four. Damn it! That's what I was going to go, Chris. I hate that we're on the same cycle. <laughs> I hate it. All right, guys, Josh, Josh, do you want to send us send us off? I don't feel like sticking the landing right now. All right, guys, for Brendan Sinone, for Chris Nee, I'm Josh Newberg. We're on the bench. Thanks for listening.